service. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock-a-rolla. Badlands listeners, are you here? Are you with me? Are you too tired to go to bed? Too riled up to stay home? I know I am. This is another podcast that comes after the podcast. Welcome to Badlands, the rap party. Welcome to the Badlands bonus episode, another thing we like to call the rap party. And just like that other show, this is a show that comes after the show, a voyage from one episode of Badlands to the other, the back lot breakdown of sorts on this episode. We are talking about Johnny Depp, more 70s flicks, the greatest crime spree romantic duos, plus my recommendations in your movie-focused voicemails, texts, DMs, and more. Badlands listeners, let's get into it. Greetings, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the rap party. Let's dive right in to Johnny Depp. All right, I was on Pinterest this morning looking at uh, rockabilly haircuts for my nine-year-old son in an effort to get him to cut his mullet. And there's this image of Johnny Depp in his pompadour from the John Waters film Crybaby. And I can say this as a fully confident heterosexual male, but God damn, Johnny Depp was good looking. He still is good looking, but he was just so good looking. Uh, it's rare that an artist with such good looks is, well, such a great artist. I mean, there's lots of good looking people in the world, don't get me wrong, and a lot of them are artists, but Johnny Depp's looks are on another level. Marlon Brando, of course, compares, but it's a short list of dudes who are that good looking and that talented. But I digress. We're not here to talk about how good looking Johnny Depp is. We are here to talk about the new Johnny Depp episode and the brand new season of Badlands. All right. So what do we know about Johnny Depp? Well, we know that Johnny Depp prefers the shadows to the limelight, uh, whether he's building a bomb with Hunter S. Thompson in the Rocky Mountains or downing bootleg quaaludes laced with arsenic. It's true. We get into all this in this newest episode. Um, Johnny Depp, after emerging as the leading art film, quote unquote, art film actor of the 1990s, uh, the paparazzi wanted to paint him as a sort of novelty boy. This drove him mad as... It would, you can understand, ended in a bunch of arrests, wrecked hotel rooms, total rock and roll lifestyle, uh, pissed off Kate Moss and Roger Daltrey. Uh, but as the camera flashes sort of lit up Johnny Depp's private life, there was still 
plenty of mystery surrounding Johnny Depp, all right? Including this mystery of particular note that is very relevant to our conversation now and the episode that we just released. And that is the unsolved disappearance of Johnny Depp's former Viper Room co-owner, a dude who went missing just days before he was supposed to testify against Johnny Depp in court. Say what? Yeah, that's true. If you're listening uh, to the new episode on Johnny Depp, telling all your friends and family to check out Badlands as well, you're going to know this, all right? So more on that missing Viper Room dude in the actual episode. Uh, I want to go back to the beginning of this episode summary here in the bonus up that we're doing right now, back to the Hunter S. Thompson of it all. Hunter S. Thompson, gonzo journalist, for better or worse, the godfather of modern subjective journalism, a guy who did just about whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. Uh, and what he wanted to do most times was a lot of drugs. So, so, so many drugs. This is well documented in Hunter S. Thompson's classic 1971 book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is part fact, part fiction, and pretty much all awesome. If you haven't yet read Fear and Loathing, I am jealous of you, okay? I wish I could go back and read it again for the first time. book is incredible. It was originally published uh, in a serialized version in Rolling Stone magazine, but much later in the late 90s, Johnny Depp signed on to play Hunter S. Thompson in Terry Gilliam's 1998 adaptation of that book. More specifically, Johnny Depp actually plays Raul Duke, the book's main character, which is essentially a stand-in for Hunter. Um, so he's playing Hunter Thompson. So to prepare for the role, Johnny goes and he spends a lot of time hanging out with Hunter, learn how he speaks, learn how he moves, how he thinks. And of course, in hanging out with Hunter S. Thompson, that meant you're going to see some weird shit. You're going to do some weird shit, which those two absolutely did do. Uh, Google this image of Johnny Depp and Hunter S. Thompson and John Cusack. <laughs> it's just, it's worth it. Trust me. Uh, but this got me thinking. Okay, back to Johnny Depp preparing for the role of playing Hunter S. Thompson and spending so much time with Hunter S. Thompson that we get into in the full episode. This got me thinking. Uh, you know, actors do this kind of thing a lot. Method actors who they, who really want to inhabit the mind space of the character that they're playing. Um, this is often, uh, I've thought about this, it has really appealed to me. I, I've never wanted to be an actor. Uh, I've never sort of uh, thought that I could do that in any way. But the idea of a method actor preparing for their role and being so committed to it that they do not come out of it, uh, just as a personal experience is something that I find fascinating. <laughs> and I'm kind of bummed that I'm never going to go through it. Maybe I could prepare for the role of being a podcaster. Um, I don't know. That's dumb dad joke. But anyways, so it just got me thinking, what's the craziest thing that an actor has ever done to prepare for a film role? All right. Is it Johnny Depp building bombs with Hunter S. Thompson? Is it Robert De Niro working 12-hour shifts as a cabbie to prepare for Taxi Driver? Is it Dustin Hoffman depriving himself of sleep for days before filming a scene in The Marathon Man? Uh, is it Daniel Day-Lewis refusing to wear a winter coat that was contemporary enough to keep him warm while filming Gangs of New York and ending up catching pneumonia because of it? Is it Heath Ledger locked inside a London hotel room for a month and practically driving himself crazy in preparation to play the role of the Joker in The Dark Knight? There's a lot of these stories. I touched on a few here. I know you guys know more of these than I do. Uh, hit me up and let me know what's the craziest thing an actor or, or an actress has ever done to prepare for a role. Uh, just hit me up. Let me know. 617-906-6638. Voicemail. Text. A lot of your voicemails, a lot of your texts. I'll be back with those after a quick moment.
All right. So we're back and uh, we'd like to do these music connections in the Badlands bonus episodes. Sometimes they're hard to find, hard to find a really good solid music connection between an actor or an actress um, and uh, the, the, the music history world or their efforts uh, to make music or stories involving them being around music. That is not the case with Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, we all know him as an actor, of course, but he's been a rock and roll guy, a, a real musician, even longer. In fact, he was uh, recently found passed out in his hotel room just hours before a gig with his band, The Hollywood Vampires, a gig that Johnny's band ended up having to cancel on account of Johnny being fucking drugged out, passed out. Uh, very rock and roll, but also very lame. Johnny Depp, the first rule of show business, my friend, is that the show must go on. Uh, so talk to your buddy Keith Richards about that. But anyway, Johnny's first love before acting was music. And as a high school dropout, he was in a band called The Kids. Great name. Uh, they actually opened for Talking Heads, The Ramones, The Pretenders, The B-52s, Iggy Pop. Okay, so like real band playing real shows with other real bands. Uh, in the 90s, after Johnny Depp has some success as an actor, he forms a band called P, as in the letter P, with Gibby Haynes of the Butthole Surfers. They put out a record on Capitol in 1995, which featured guest appearances by Flea from the Chili Peppers, Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, Chucky e. Weiss, who's a Tom Waits guy. He's in Tom Waits' orbit. He's actually the namesake of Ricky Lee Jones's Chucky's in Love, if you know that song. That's Chucky e. Weiss. Anyways, whatever. Uh, maybe even wilder than that Motley Crue of musicians is a story about Johnny Depp and his buddy... Uh, Bostonian Evan Dando uh, from the Lemonheads. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it here, but just it's in the episode. If you have not heard it, please go listen to this uh, Johnny Depp Evan Dando story. Okay. All right. So that's the music connection. Lots of stuff to dive into with Johnny Depp and music. Uh, as for the number one movie from this episode, it's the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Here's something uh, some of my friends know about me. I don't like these movies. Uh, I'm just not not a Hobbit guy. I've tried. I've tried with the Lord of the Rings, and I cannot get into it. You can, uh, you know, you can go ahead and send your hate mail now. It's uh, my 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 opinion will not change. I tried recently, even okay, like six months ago. I tried. Cannot do it. Uh, but a lot of people can. Uh, this is the let's see the highest fifth highest grossing movie of all time. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring was the number one movie on December twenty first, two thousand one. That's of course when our story on Johnny Depp takes place. Did eight hundred and eighty million worldwide in its initial release. Those it's a lot of money. Uh, does Johnny Depp have any movies that made that much money? You ask. Of course he does. Uh, be, became quite the box office draw once he signed on for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise and started playing uh, Keith Richards. As uh, Captain Jack Sparrow, uh, the second Pirates film, Dead Man's Chest, uh, broke a few records when it came out in 2006. The opening weekend record in the U.S. was 136 million. Uh, it was the fastest film to gross over one billion after beating that opening weekend record of 136 million. Fastest film to gross over a billion in worldwide box office money. That's a lot of money, a billion dollars. Um, yeah, uh, so. I don't know. I feel like they're going to make another one of these movies soon. I feel like Johnny Depp is, has been let back into the club. Maybe this has already been announced and I'm unaware. Uh, but it feels like these things are just, they make too much money as a franchise to not be happening. But before all this, before Johnny Depp was a big box office draw, he was known for making smaller movies, of course. Movies that were off the beaten path. 
Our man Johnny Depp was like Robert De Niro to Tim Burton's Martin Scorsese. The two made numerous films together over the years. Some great, great movies. Edward Scissorhands in 1990. Ed Wood, fantastic movie in 1994. Sleepy Hollow in 99. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 2005. Corpse Bride, which I've never seen in 2005. Sweeney Todd, 2007. Dark Shadows, which I liked. I'm not sure what people thought of that, 2012. Um... Also, some amazing movies without Tim Burton, okay? Nightmare on Elm Street, of course. Platoon, he's great in that. Uh, he's in like five seconds of it, but he looks great. <laughs> uh, 21 Jump Street, uh, that's a TV series, of course. But then, Cry Baby, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Dead Man, the Jim Jarmusch film, the Neil Young soundtrack, Donnie Brasco, probably my favorite Johnny Depp performance. I'm skipping Chocolat and going straight to my second favorite Johnny Depp performance, which is Blow, uh, R.I.P. Paul Rubens. And uh, Public Enemies, not a great movie. And, you know, I didn't mind Johnny Depp as Whitey Bulger and Black Mass. I know people had a problem with that, but I dug it. Um, so that's the scoop on Johnny Depp. Now let's get the scoop from you. Get into some of your voicemails and texts. All right, in the last bonus episode, I talked about how much I like the new Wes Anderson Asteroid City. Uh, that prompted this voicemail from the 571. Just uh, responding to the conjecture you had with yourself about Wes Anderson. To be clear, I do like some of his films, but uh, generally, it's not about it. Uh, something about it. It always reminds me of a Peter Griffin line for a fellow like yourself. Uh, from Family Guy, who said uh, something about it. It insists upon itself. I don't know. It's just kind of a pretension that I don't think. But that being said, I fucking love Rushmore. Dude, I hear you. I fucking love Rushmore as well, but I hear you. Um, a lot of people don't dig on Wes Anderson. I do. I'm, I'm used to people talking shit about him to me. Um, I don't personally don't know where you're coming from. But I kind of hear, I'm saying I hear you at the same time. I don't know. It's just one of those things. I get it, but I don't get it. Uh, and I love Rushmore. And if you haven't seen Bottle Rocket, go check it out. Uh, if you like Rushmore, I don't know how you're going to not like Bottle Rocket. Um, and also, it insists upon itself. is hysterical. I, I totally know what that means. All right. We also got into a favorite subject of mine, 1970s movies. And we're still on that tip. So let's get into this voicemail from the 270. Hey, this is Deborah from the great state of Maine. You asked for a list of the top five 70s movies. Well, let me tell you, I dearly loved Rocky, The Goodbye Girl, Blazing Saddles, The Exorcist, and The Turning Point. And I'm not sure which one of those I loved the most, but uh, The Exorcist scared me the most. The Goodbye Girl I saw 17 times because there was nothing to do in Brunswick, Maine that, during the 70s. And Rocky was just amazing. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for the call, Deborah. Great list. And you mentioned The Exorcist. So this is a good a chance as any to send out an RIP to director William Freakin, who just died recently and by all accounts lived a full life. Uh, Rocky, yes, of course, uh, deserves a spot on any 70s list. I've been thinking about this movie a lot because I was just in Philadelphia in my my kids are really into the Rocky movies. My youngest kid, especially, we did the Rocky Steps, <laughs> which was fun and cheesy and the most touristy thing I think I've ever done in my life. But um, it was a blast. And but I was thinking about, I was thinking about Rocky in the context of '70s movies. First of all, uh, I get a lot of side eye when I talk about Rocky being a great love story. 
Uh, it's not known as that. It's known as a great sports story, but it's actually a love story. Um, but I've been thinking, you know, in the end, you know, this, you know, the greatest moment of this guy's life happens and all he wants is his girl to be with him. He's just screaming for her, Adrian, Adrian, you know this, you know how the movie ends. I'm not spoiling anything for anybody, but I was thinking about this as well in, in the context of seventies movies versus eighties movies. And in the 1970s, of course, we have all these great anti-heroes and we have a lot of bad, bad dudes who are fronting films and, uh, and Rocky, if it were made in the 80s, we wouldn't have had the ending that we had in the first Rocky film. And of course, we know this because there's all the other Rocky films. But what I mean specifically is like in the 1970s, you could have this, this kind of nebulous ending. You, you watch it. You don't even really know who wins or what happens. All you know is Rocky didn't get knocked out. He's still standing and he's just screaming for his girl. It's not, my point is, it's not a neat and tidy ending with the exception of the romantic part, which I love, but the sports part, uh, the typical protagonist sort of arc part is nebulous. And I dig that. And that is a seventies thing. Uh, the eighties, everything got really tidy and kind of boring. Uh, uh, but that's my tangent on Rocky. So thanks for adding Rocky to your list, Deborah, to bring me off on that tangent. Uh, more on 70s movies from the 540. Okay, big guy, here we go. This is Justin from the 540. Here are the, well, top five, maybe, movies of the 70s. Number one, obviously, is 1977, Smokey the Bandit. Really doesn't need any explanation. It is, you know, Oscar-worthy. It is the best Jackie Gleason movie ever. Anyway, all right, so number two is 1976, The Outlaw of Josie Wales. I think by far one of Clint with the best <sighs> kind of westerns or Civil War than western, but anyway. All right, so let's see. Number three is 1979's Hardcore with George C. Scott. <laughs> It's a little out there, but watch it. It's about a dude looking for his daughter in L.A. She, like, got into the porn industry or whatever. It's just a really wild movie. But anyway, all right, so number four, oh, 1974's Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. I mean, we're talking about Warren Oates, Chris Christopherson. I mean, it's just, it's, it's great. It's a great movie. And then number five is... uh 1973's Walking Tall, Joe Don Baker. Like I said, it's a true story. That's really good. But anyway, there you go, man. That's my, my top five, I guess you call it. Deuces. Smokey and the Bandit. Yes, I heard this story about Smokey and the Bandit recently. And forgive me if I mentioned this on one of the recent Rap Party episodes. I don't think I did. But I heard that they didn't even have a script for that movie. <laughs> like, literally, all they had was an outline. And they just winged it. They just like, they just, I don't want to say improv because, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, improv that we think of when we think of like the groundlings or something like that. Um, it was just like, uh, okay, here's, we're going to put Burt Reynolds, this super charismatic guy in a, in a awesome looking car with a, a really cute, cute woman in Sally Field and just like let the charisma do its thing. And the movie, <laughs> the movie did gangbusters uh, without without a script. I don't know if that's true or not, but I did hear that, and I heard it from a reputable source. Um, so I'm, I'm going with it. Sounds amazing, and it does speak to the the char charisma and power of Burt Reynolds at the time. Uh, 
to to the caller, have you? I recently watched White Lightning. Have you seen this? You must. You must have seen White Lightning based on your list here and uh, your love of Smokey. Uh, awesome movie. I got to ask you though, Josie Wales. You mentioned uh, where are you? Like, are you, are you into that movie more than your Dirty Harry? Dirty Harry? Because I recently watched Dirty Harry, and I got to say, I kind of like it more than I did when I saw it as a kid, and I loved it as a kid or a young adult, I should say. No, I haven't seen Hardcore. Just just reading about it the other night. Paul Schrader? Is that Paul Schrader or Paul Morrissey? Or I, I might not be either of them. Uh, let me know. Call me back and let me know. 617-906-6638. Where did the film Hardcore come from? I could look it up, but I'd rather you tell me. All right. Uh, I've seen and love Warren Oates and Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, of course. Need to watch Walking Tall as an adult. Saw it as a kid. I don't remember any of it. Uh, I, I do know that it was a phenomenon when it happened. Uh, just great, great list, Justin. Thank you. I will... Uh, Check out Hardcore as soon as you let me know who uh, who the auteur is behind it. A uh, couple weeks ago, we released an episode on Roman Polanski. We got some messages. Uh, this one from Gerald in the 901. Yo, Jake. Hey, this is Gerald from Memphis. Um, this is about Polanski and the pianist. I am actually a pianist myself, and so I did not know that was Polanski until just now when you said it. But it totally makes sense because it's a similar story to what you said his story was about escaping the Nazis. Um, I thought it was going to be a music movie years ago. I played it on the streaming service because, hey, it's a pianist. That's what I am. I'll play this movie. And, nope, that's a World War II movie. Uh, but uh, the pianist is the lead character, so the piano is kind of a character in the movie. But it's, and I can't give it away if you haven't seen it because it's really killer. It's brutally good. And it's a true story, I think. I believe the guy was a real guy, and he was a Jewish pianist, and he escaped sort of similarly to Polanski. Like, his family was going to the uh, to the uh, Auschwitz or whatever, and he got pulled out of the line or something. And that's all I'm going to say because the rest of the movie is freaking brutal, dude. It's totally good, and it totally makes sense that it's Polanski. So, anyway, just telling you that. Hope you're well and uh, great job on all the shows, dude. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Gerald. I need to I need to dig into the pianist. Um, I need to give it a, a a new watch, a full a full watch with my full attention. And once I do, I will report back. Thanks for the message. But I do have a, a follow up question for you, Gerald. Do you like the pianist more than you like Rosemary's Baby? Um, that's a tall ask. Let me know. All right, guys, you know how to get in touch with me, 617-906-6638. Thanks for the voicemails. Also taking text, this one from the 509. Best 70s films. Let's stay on subject here. Best 70s films from the 509. Jaws, number one. Little Big Man, number two. Rocky, number three. Outlawed Josie Wales, number four. French Connection, Star Wars, The Verdict. I think The Verdict is the 80s, my friend. Uh, love the podcast. Keep it up. Great list. Nonetheless, of those, you know, I go Jaws, number one. French Connection, I don't think we've talked about enough. Amazing movie. Love it. Thanks for the text. More 70s movies. Best list coming in. This one from the 928 Animal House. <laughs> Animal House, number one. Woodstock, number two. Caddyshack, number three. Rocky Horror, number four. Dersu Uzala. I don't know what that is in the number five spot of your list here. I got to go Animal House in the number one spot. And Caddyshack, that came out in the 70s. Is that right? I thought it was early 80s. From the 651. Per your request for a recommendation on a 1990s Polanski movie, as creepy and Satan-related as it is, The Ninth 
gate should blow your mind in a good way. Best wishes, Jake. Um, I didn't know that was, uh, yeah, yeah, I did know. I did, and then I, I don't know. I got to watch the ninth gate. Thank you. All right, guys, tons of text here. I apologize for not responding to them over the last week or so. I've been traveling with my family, did a whole week-long road trip, and kind of tried to stay off the internet, off the phone, off the device. You guys can relate, I hope. Uh, I will get back to these. If I don't get into them in the wrap party this week and next week, I will just answer directly in the app. On the old telephone, one more here from the 805. Top five music-related movies of all time. Sorry, you get 10. Not sorry. Uh, number 10, Rolling Stones, Rock and Roll Circus. Number 9, Amadeus. 8, Rude Boy. 7, Erg, A Music War. 6, This is Spinal Tap. 5, Almost Famous. 4, Gimme Shelter. 3, Decline of Western Civilization. 2, Cocksuckers Blues. 1, Quadrophenia. 805, out. Dude, you could seriously get that down to 5 very easily. Of yours, top 5, I would go in descending order. Number five, Rolling Stones, Rock and Roll Circus. Number four, uh, Gimme Shelter. Number three, Cocksucker Blues. See what I did there. Number two, Almost Famous. Number one, Amadeus. There, I said it. I want to rewatch Amadeus tonight. That sounds like a plan. Um, all right, 617-906-6638. Voicemails and texts. And... Uh, at Disgraceland Pod, I'll get into the DMs next week. I promise. I'm gonna take a quick break. Come back with some recommendations. This is the other recommendations part, the part of the other show where we recommend the movies and television content, the recommendations part, the part where we discuss the movies and television we're recommending. This is the recommendations part here in the Badlands Rap Party bonus episode. I am stuck in a Steve McQueen, Ally McGraw hole. I cannot stop watching The Getaway. Seriously, I'm watching it every single night. Uh, it's just become a really familiar thing that I go to bed to. Uh, you've seen this film? No, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Great film. Sam Peckinpah trying to make a hit so it's violent but it's not like over the top violent it's Steve McQueen Ally McGraw they famously fall in love in real life on this set she leaves her movie mogul husband Bob Evans for Steve McQueen I mean who could blame her them's the breaks Bob uh Bob did okay anyways the movie though just if you don't know what it's about you probably know if you've seen the cover of it or whatever, you've seen images of it, you probably know it's a, you know, from the title, you know, the getaway. It's these guys are on the run. There's criminals, this couple, they're criminals, they're on the run. It's not quite a Bonnie and Clyde story, but the interesting part about it, despite the crime, put the crime aside, is the relationship between the two. Um, I, I think a lot of the criticism around this film thought it was too violent and thought there could have been more relationship uh, in the story, but I think it is just enough. It is played just to the exact perfect note. You can feel the tension between these two throughout. And then it comes, when it comes to a head, it feels real. And when they ultimately, spoiler alert, when they ultimately resolve it, it still feels it has that, even though it's a fantastic Hollywood big bang shoot 'em up movie it's still that the the emotional resonance of the relationship rings true and it grounds the whole thing into this reality that keeps me coming back love this movie one of those movies the more i watch it the more i love it um so it but of course it just gives me the the obvious question steve mcqueen 
Allie McGraw, crime spree couple, one of the greatest crime spree couples that we've seen on film. I mean, there's just off the top of my head, Christian Slater and uh, is it Patricia Arquette or Rosemary Arquette? It's Patricia Arquette in True Romance, right? Uh, Also Christian Slater and uh, Winona Ryder in Heathers, right? That would qualify. Crime spree, I guess, you know, kind of. Warren Beatty and Mrs. Peter Wolf, Faye Dunaway from the aforementioned Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek from Badlands. Okay, have you seen Badlands? You should. There are so many. Let me know. Favorite crime spree couples? Hit me up. 617-906-6638. This is an interesting topic, and I know it's going to clue me into more movies. I know you guys are going to hit me to stuff that I haven't been thinking about at all or haven't thought about in a while, and I'm going to revisit. So hit me up on this topic. Best crime spree couples, all right? And watch The Getaway if you haven't, and call me back and let me know what you think. Um... I mentioned earlier, I think, that I rewatched Dirty Harry recently as well. Uh, and then I'm also, I've also recently watched, because it's on Netflix, uh, another Clint Eastwood film from much, much later in his career. Dirty Harry was 71, I believe, 1971. And uh, yeah. And then I watched In the Line of Fire. And I'm not sure when that's from the 90s, early 90s, I'm guessing, 93, 94, something like that. Um, but, you know, The Dirty Harry movie comes out, Clint Eastwood movie comes out right at the height of Steve McQueen's sort of, uh, you know, A-list celebrity stardom. Clint wasn't yet a bona fide leading man who could carry a big budget, broad film yet. But, you know, after Dirty Harry, that all changed. And that's the beginning of the 70s. And someone mentioned Burt Reynolds before. So we've got Steve McQueen. Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, I'll throw in Paul Newman, and even Robert Redford, as much as it pains me to do so. Uh, Those are some heavy-hitting leading men. Again, Steve McQueen, Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, Paul Newman, Robert Redford, since we're on the topic of 70s film, who is the best leading man from the 1970s? Again, Steve McQueen, Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, Paul Newman, Robert Redford, or anyone else you got, let me know. Do you throw Harrison Ford in there? Mm, I don't know. I feel like he's more of an 80s guy. 617-906-6638. I promise I'll watch a film between now and next week's rap party where I can pose the same question about leading ladies from the 70s. Uh, But in the meantime, again, 617-906-6638 with your favorite 70s leading men. And uh, also your movie recommendations, TV as well. Why not? Uh, What are you guys watching? Let me know. And also, you know, I'm available at Disgraceland Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Quick break. Back with a recap in just a flash. All right, let's recap, shall we? Number one, the obvious, the Johnny Depp episode of Badlands, the first episode of season eight is available in your feed right now, so go check that out. Number two, next week in Badlands, brand new episode on Sigourney Weaver. This is one of my favorite ones. You're not going to want to miss this. Uh, Number three, over in the Disgraceland feed, got a new episode on the Velvet Underground. That is the season finale of season 12, by the way. Uh, That's available for you right now. Number four, call me, 617-906-6638. We'll keep this Badlands movie conversation going. I love the voicemails, the voicemails, the voicemails. I want to hear your voices. All right. You can also text me. Number five, I got to split. I got other podcasts to record and I got to return some videotapes. So right now, a second dose of bliss for yours truly in honor of this week's Badlands episode, me reading the script from Donnie Brasco. Exterior. Day. 
Washington, D.C. An aerial view of the nation's capital, moving in on the stolid limestone box of FBI headquarters. Supered below. FBI headquarters, Washington, D.C., 1981. Cut to. Interior. Day. FBI headquarters. A spacious corner office. American flag. FBI seal in a plush carpet. Federal blue. Clendon Hogue, 40s, barrel chest, shrewd eyes over half-moon glasses, presides behind a vast desk. The impressive mean of earned authority before him. Jules Bond Velado, late 40s, Green Beret, veteran, supervisor, 140 pounds of pugnacity and gristle, ex-street agent Cranmer headquarters. Pat Marshall, late 30s, Quit talking and start mixing. Cut it.